Well, good evening, everybody. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 23 tonight. So if you have your Bibles, um, we'll get there. We'll get there in a minute. I want to welcome everybody here tonight that's here in person, everybody listening to our podcast channel. You know, many people are under the impression that uh, the false impression that God of the Old Testament is angry and uptight. Have you ever heard that? You ever seen that? People think that. And, you know, while then Jesus is, he's kind and he's forgiving, right? Well, people think, well, does Jesus have to calm God down? I mean, does he have to do that? No, he doesn't, though. You know, Jesus loves us and so does God. And the reason that Jesus addresses everybody in truth and love is because he's addressing the individuals, He addresses the individuals, and God addresses the culture. And we learned last week that um, through Pastor Joey, he was talking about the what-ifs, and we look at these laws. And tonight, we're going to look at chapter 23, and what chapter 23 is, it's God's wise wisdom. God's going to give us wisdom through these laws that he's given to the judges. You know, but God addresses the culture. That's why it's more, it's real broad. It's the culture is to function. Everyone has to live in peace and harmony. You know, there must be boundaries and regulations to govern society. And without them, people would not survive. The love of God declares the need for these healthy parameters in our lives. And we'll see that in chapter 23, these miscellaneous laws. So if you have your Bibles, open them to chapter 23, and we'll start in verse 1. And it says this, Do not spread false reports. Do not help a guilty person by being a malicious witness. You know, our judicial system allows for the buying of expert witnesses, doesn't it? And this practice is prohibited in God's economy. You know, making up or spreading false reports was strictly forbidden by God. Gossip and slander and false witnessing undermines the families. It strains our neighborhoods and the cooperation that we have within those neighborhoods. And it makes chaos of the judicial system. Destructive gossip still causes problems today. You know, even if you do not tell a lie, you become responsible if you pass that lie along. A lot of times we may not tell that lie, but we pass those things along. So what they're saying is don't circulate these rumors. Squelch them. Stop them before they get started. And then in verse 2 it says, Do not follow the crowds in doing wrong. When you give a testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. And do not show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. In some verses it says, do not follow the multitudes of evil, the crowds of evils, in words or in thought. Because sometimes we say things or we think things like that. You know, there's an example of this in Matthew 7, 13. It says this, enter through the narrow gate For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter in through it. But small is the gate and narrow the roads that leads to life, and only a few find it. We must be people who follow God and tell the truth, even when everyone else is moving in the wrong direction or the other direction, an opposite direction of where we're going. Because that direction could be very crowded. It's wide open, and it can be very crowded for us. You know, sometimes, how many of you, um, 
you probably have heard this. My parents used to say all the time to me, if everybody was going to jump off the bridge, would you jump off that bridge? Have you ever heard that? Because we're following the crowd, right? We're not supposed to follow that crowd. You know, even if it seems unpopular, we're not to do that. We're supposed to do that. We follow Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We follow Jesus, not the world. And showing favoritism is wrong. Justice is often perverted in the favor of the rich. Here the people were warned against twisting justice in the favor of the poor, which is interesting. God is saying just because a person is poor, they are not to be favored. A couple of verses later, we'll see God say, don't rule against the poor just because they're poor. No one is to violate another one's rights. The first point I'd like to make tonight is this. Treat people with integrity regardless of their social status. Treat them with integrity. It doesn't matter who they are. In Proverbs 19.1 it says, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. So remember that. Treat everyone with integrity. Our country understands, is that has an understanding of what blind justice is, and it's based on these biblical principles. And I believe I have a picture up there of Lady Justice. And she's blindfolded because justice is unbiased and should not be based on a person's appearance or other outside influences. She holds the scales which represents impartiality, of the court's decision, and a sword, which is a symbol of power and justice. In Ephesians 6.13, the Apostle Paul discusses this and says that the sword is the spirit, which represents the word of God. Justice must be even for everyone. Justice should be impartial, treating rich and poor alike. And sometimes we don't see that, do we? We see the rich get favored and the poor sometimes not getting favored at all, giving special privileges to them. So what he's saying here, God's saying, withstand the pressure of the crowds about your decisions. Don't let the people or the crowds sway you in your decisions. And in verse 4 it says, If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. The thought of being kind to your enemies was a new and startling concept in the world where revenge was common. Isn't it? How many of us would help our enemies? Well, God's calling us to do that. God's not only introducing this to the Israelites, but he's making it a law. He says, if a man lost an animal and he's your enemy, you're to return it at once, even if he's going to use it to harm you or go against you. This was unheard of at the times. And Jesus clearly taught this in the story of the Good Samaritan. And that story is so important for us today. In Luke 10.25, it says this, On one occasion, an expert of law stood up to test Jesus. He was testing Jesus. He says, Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Don't you just love how Jesus answers questions? He answers it with a question. He puts it back on them. How do you read that? And he says, he answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, 
and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trick him up. I'm going to trip him up here. So he says, who's my neighbor? And that's a good question for all of us, isn't it? We heard a little bit about that this weekend, but the question is, who is my neighbor? Who is our neighbors? I can tell you who my neighbor is. My neighbor's the homeless person that lives under the overpass at 95. It's the person down the road that's protesting against something that's against what I believe. Our neighbors are all around us. They are our neighbors. And Jesus is saying, reach out to all people in need, even your enemies. Next point I'd like to make is, let the fairness that God shows to each one of us guide our judgment. Loving our neighbor through our actions. It's how we act and how we respond to what they're doing. And I like this one because really the question here is not who's my neighbor, okay? I don't believe that that's the right question. The right question is, am I a good neighbor? That's the question. Are we good neighbors? Are we the people that God wants us to be when it comes to impartiality? Do we show favoritism to certain people because of their social status? Or do we love all people? When we apply God's laws of fairness and kindness to all our neighbors and our enemies, that's what's so important because at that point, we start to look like Christ. We start to look like Christ. We're made to be in Christ's image. We're to be conformed into his image. And in Romans 12, 1, it says, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So when we do this, the next point is we will show how different we are from the world. We're called to be different from the world. We're not supposed to look like the world. Why should we be different from the world? Because God commands us to be different from the world. God's given us these laws to distinguish us being different from the world. We live in a world that's ungodly, that's full of sin, and we must be different from that world. Shifting our patterns from the world and focusing and changing our lives to be like Jesus Christ. And that is by changing our minds, renewing our minds daily. Changing the way we think to create a better life for ourselves and our neighbors. That is what's different about us. We separate ourselves from the world to be holy and righteous and live a life that honors God. That's what we do. We're different because we know Christ and we're a new creation in Christ. But how do we renew our minds? How do we do that? How are we to be transformed by God's word? In Philippians 4.8, it says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's how we do it. We must reject the ungodly. And I can tell you from my standpoint, I fail on this a lot. I fail a lot of times 
on this because I don't think about those things. I think about the things of the world. Sometimes we think about bad things, don't we? I know I do. I can't tell you what you're doing, but I can tell you that I do. And some of those reasons, some of the things I do with that are the music that I listen to. Maybe the books or the magazines that we look at or the TV shows or even our conversations that we have. Sometimes we engage in those conversations that we shouldn't be around the water coolers or wherever that's at. And we laugh at those jokes. But are those the jokes that we would tell if Jesus was there? Are those the jokes that we would tell if our family was there? But we listen to them. And what we should be doing is renewing our minds daily with godly thoughts. For God so loved the world. He loved each and every one of us. But the love of nothing can separate us from the love of God. Those are the things we should be thinking about. When we focus on godly thoughts, that we're created in the image of God, and we reflect the goodness of God, living out our lives and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. This is called the sanctification process. And this process is a lifelong process. And I always think about the Apostle Paul because he says he never arrived. So that for me, that makes me feel good because I'm never going to arrive. I know that. But I feel good that Paul, Apostle Paul said that because that gives us all hope that we continue on in this process. We continue to run our race. We allow the Holy Spirit to shape our lives. In Matthew 5, 16, it says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine. This is God's purpose for all of us so that God may be glorified through our lives. That's it. That's our purpose, that we would do that. And then in verse 6, it says, Do not deny justice to the poor. People in their lawsuits have nothing to do with a false charge and do not put innocence or or." Put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the guilty. God says he will not justify the guilty. And what's interesting is in Romans 4, 7, it goes back to this, and this is where it comes for all of us. It says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one who the sin the Lord will never count against them. God is the one who justifies us. And that is amazing. That's great news, isn't it? We don't have to worry about man justifying us. We rely on the Lord. And then in verse 8, it says, Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twists the words of the innocent. Corruption has always been around, has it not? There's corruption everywhere you go. But the worst sin for a judge was to accept a bribe. People who work in the judicial system who go to the court, have these court cases, are not to take gifts because it makes their judgment questionable. If they received a gift, it's questionable. Gifts blind, wise, and fair judgment were not to sell justice. That's not what we're doing. And God's trying to let these people know this by giving them these laws that we're not supposed to do that. And then in verse 9 it says, Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be a foreigner because you were a foreigner in Egypt. 
They're a foreigner or a stranger. And you know, we, there's no strangers, right? Does everybody know that? There's no strangers, just somebody we haven't met yet. That's all it is. There's no strangers out there. It's just somebody we haven't met yet. But God's saying that you were strangers, you were foreigners, and that's not grounds for oppression. When God repeats something, because he, he said it earlier on, it matters to him a lot, and it should matter to us. And when we understand how important it is to God, then we understand his word. Prejudice can be in the deepest corners of our heart, and we may not even be aware of it. There can be things in our heart that we don't even know about. We need to ask the Lord to search our hearts. In Psalms 139, and 139 verse 23, it says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And ask God if there are any wicked ways in your heart. Because only God knows your heart. He only knows what's deep in your heart. We don't know. I don't know what's in your heart. But God does. And if there's anything you need to render over to him, have him look into your heart and give it over to him. Because we were all strangers and foreigners cut off from the blessings of God before we were saved and brought into the family of God. Were we not? We were all foreigners. In Ephesians 2.12, it says, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope, without God in the world. And we have hope, don't we? We have hope in Jesus Christ. There's no room for oppression or prejudice in the hearts of believers. None whatsoever. And these are marks of sound moral feeling and true wisdom that God's telling us. There's no room for that. Then he goes on in verse 10. He's going to talk about the Sabbath laws. And it says, For six years you are to sow your fields and, let, <clears throat> and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year... Let the land lie unplowed and unused, then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left. Do the same with your vineyards and your, your olive groves. So, the seventh year. Seven, year is every, seven is a very important number in the Bible. Has anybody ever noticed that? It's very important. It's a big deal. And the number seven stands for completeness or a fullness. And it's talking on that seventh day about rest. And sometimes a lot of us long for that rest, don't we? Because we're so busy at everything we're doing, we long for that rest. We find ourselves working endlessly, fighting back the chaos of our lives with no real rest. When we look at Genesis 1, we want to look at that, what the beginning was. And the beginning was darkness and disorder. And then God, sprint, God speaks and brings light and order so that life may flourish. God did this over the course of six days. And over those six days, he said this, there was evening and there was morning on each one of those days. But on the seventh day, he didn't say that. Something special happened. God stopped and he rests on that seventh day. The word there was Shabbat. And it says the Hebrew word Shabbat means to cease from. God ceased from his work because it was finished and he rests. 
He brought creation to its, be, be, to its completion on that seventh day. And that phrase of morning and evening was no longer there because creation was full of God's presence at that time. The land that he provided for all of creation and for humans as well. He restored that. He gives us that on that seventh day, that day of rest. In the Exodus story, we've seen that, right? They were not, the Israelites were not in that land of rest. And they were told to rest. But on that seventh day, they were not to work, but enjoy God's work. And today, for all of us, how many of us take a Sabbath? I see one hand. There we go. We need to take that Sabbath. We need to rest. We need to reflect on God's goodness in our lives. And the only way we can do that is we slow down and just stop. Be still and know that I'm God. Be in his presence. And that's what we need to do. And then the ultimate was the seven times seven year was called the Jubilee year. This year then they lost all their debts. Everything was forgiven all their land was restored back to them and it was pointing to the land of future rest. God was in charge of everything and he instructed the Jews to celebrate this weekly Sabbath by refraining from work during which they would allow the land to rest. They would allow the poor to get food. How many of us allow that, right? Do we do that? Do we rest on that seventh day? It's interesting because he's saying, do not cultivate the food. Do not allow that. Allow the poor to have that. They were given ecological sound laws long ago, but this special time of rest was for them so that they would increase their faith as well as their obedience to God. And what's interesting about that verse is it goes and shows who Jesus is because Jesus is so generous and so gracious. I always think about the wedding, when he, his first miracle with the wine. That was showing how gracious and generous God was to show what his kingdom was like. And that's exactly what he's doing here. He's pointing to the kingdom of God as being gracious and generous by allowing the poor to eat. And then in verse 12, it says, Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do no work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and so that you, so the slave born in your household and the foreigners living among you may be refreshed. You know, some people think the law is demanding. But if you read this, it's not. Because this passage really just speaks of God's tenderness and his love towards all of us. God wants us to succeed but not at the expense of our health or the well-being of others. God never created anything to fail, and he wants us to succeed. God mandates one day off and seven so that we can rest. Now God broadens his circle to the animals as well, to their servants and to their land. And Jesus says this, come to me and I will give you rest. In Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, take my yoke, and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Take some time to be with Jesus. Have balance in your life when it comes to that sabbatical. 
One of the best stories that I know of in the Bible for balance is the story of Martha and Mary. Does everybody know the story of Martha and Mary? Do we have Marthas? Do we have Marys? We have a little bit of both. But that is a really great story of how we should have balance. Martha was working. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. There's a balance. But Martha wasn't happy, right? Martha was complaining to Jesus. And what did Jesus say? She's found the better spot. I just want to make a point about that. It's not about what we do for Jesus. It's about what we do with Jesus. It's about what we do with him. It's not about what we do for him. We can work. We can do all these things just like Martha was doing. But what did Jesus say? This is the better spot. Not about what you do for me. What are you doing with me? Spend time with Jesus on that Sabbath. Spend time resting in him, reflecting on his goodness in your life. And then in verse 13, it says, Be careful to do everything I have said to do. Do not invoke the name of other gods. Do not let them be heard on your lips. The Apostle Paul was very concerned with this as well. And he goes on to say something about this. In Romans uh, 16, 19, he had an issue with that. He says, Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I do, do want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. He doesn't want us to be thinking about or concerned with other gods because there are no other gods. We have the one true living God. We are to be completely unfamiliar with the idols that dominate our, the hearts of our culture because there are so many different things out there that can dominate us, aren't there? And we all know what idols are. We all have our own idols. I don't need to really go into that because we know what each one of those idols are in our own lives, and we have them. And then he goes on to talk about the three festivals. It says, three times a year you are to celebrate a festival to me. Celebrate the festival of the unleavened bread. For seven days eat bread made without yeast as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv, in the month, for in that month you came out of Egypt. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. Celebrate the festival of harvest with the first fruits of your crops and sow in the fields. Celebrate the festival of the ingathering at the end of the year when you gather your crops from the field. So the people were to get together for these three festivals every year. And as we look at these festivals, they're interesting. You know, when the people were settling in their lands, the men were to come and gather and worship three times a year. They were accompanied by their families. But here's the thing. They didn't come empty-handed. They did not come empty-handed. They would come ready and prepared to give. In 2 Corinthians 8, it says this, God loves a cheerful giver. You know, that's so important for all of us, isn't it? And it's not giving your money. It's really about giving your time, your talents, and everything else that you have. We talked about that earlier, about needing volunteers. There are so many people that come to church with this mindset. They're not looking to get something, but they're looking to give something. They're looking to be gracious and cheerful givers. And not all the time that happens, does it? We're always looking to get something. But these people, they came prepared. 
They were prayed up and they were ready and eager to worship, to give of their time and their talents to reach out to people in need. And in doing this, they enriched the lives and they showed the love of Christ to everyone. As I said earlier, the kingdom of God is all about generosity and grace. And in verse 17, it says, Three times a year the men were to appear before the sovereign Lord. Do not offer the blood sacrifices to me along with anything containing yeast. And we know that yeast is more of like sin, right? We know that. That's why they weren't to have that in the unleavened bread. The fat of the festival offering must be kept until morning. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the Lord, the house of the Lord, your God. The priority the Lord has in our lives is seen with these first fruits. How many of you have heard that term, first fruits? And it's clear what that is, right? We understand what that is. But the tendency to people, and I fall into this right there with you, is to delay that sometimes, right? Sometimes we delay that offering. We delay it. And true, true gratitude makes... the a big return when we offer that first to the Lord. When we give him his first fruits, he says in Malachi, it says, bring the first fruits into my storeroom, right? Bring it in and I will bless you. I will open up the heavens and pour out more than you can handle. So why wouldn't we take that, right? Why wouldn't we accept that promise and claim that promise from God? Show our gratitude for everything he's done for us because everything we have comes from God. And we should always be willing to give it back and not ever delay it. Then the next verse says, do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Now this one I thought was interesting. I'm, I never really saw that, read that much, but as I've looked at it, it's, it's really extraordinary because it talks with it about being with the first fruits. It's like, wow, that's Interesting, you're talking about first fruits, but you're talking about... But the people, this was a favorite food of the people. They like cooking the goats in this milk, and it's supposed to improve the flavor. But the mother's milk cooking her own offspring would also reveal the attitude of the heart. There was something there in your heart that could lead to sin. And God was saying that the, the pagans had practiced this. The pagans had done this for years, and what they were doing, it was for fertility. They would do this, and then they would kind of spread these things around and on the different trees and plants and all that. And it was like fertility. And what they were doing is that they were hoping that the gods, the small Gs, would bless them with children. And God's saying, stay away from that. God has given this regulation in order for his people to stay completely clear of anything resembling a pagan practice. So anything that resembles that, stay away from it. It's not good. And then in verse 20, it says, God's angel is going to prepare the way for them. It says, see, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to a place I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. Is this the same angel that was guiding them when they left, uh, um, when they left Egypt, that pillar, the pillar of clouds and fire? So who was this angel? I think it was a manifestation of God. A lot of people say that it was Jesus. 
And it says in this, in Exodus 13, 21 through 22, by, the, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. But it says, my name is in him, means the essential nature and the power of God were made to be known in this angel. And I believe that angel to be Jesus, the angel of the covenant. This is the only explanation of why the angel had the power to pardon sin. And it says, the book of the covenant approximately ends with a number of promises which God comes with and undertakes these and performs them. If Israel is obedient to these promises, and in verse 22, it says, if you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy of your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Pezzites, the Canaanites, Hizzavites, the Jezebites, probably the Mosquitoites and the Termites, and I will wipe them all out. Do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. He will be the enemy of our enemies not ceasing until they're destroyed. Once again, the Lord warned them against idolatry and worshiping false gods, the ones that were around them. It's easy if we're in the fire to get burned, isn't it? So stay away from the fire and you won't get burned. The heart of God is that we obey his voice, that angel that was there with them, in order that he might bless them. And that's what God's word is for us today. He wants us to listen. He wants us to be faithful and obedient so he can bless us. In order that we may have victory over those things, all those chains that weigh us down, that keep us in bondage. God warned the Israelites about their neighbors whose beliefs and actions could turn them away from him. If the Israelites devoted themselves wholly to the Lord, we will all, he would also live with them and their neighbors, and they would have values that were completely different than the ones that were around them. The next point, our lives should show that we put obeying God first before the things accepted by the world. Put God's word first instead of the things that the world accepts. And then verse 25 it says, worship the Lord your God, and his blessings will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness among you, and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full life span. God is saying, I will heal your land if you obey me. And then verse 27, it says this. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive out the Hittites, the Canaanites, all of them out of the way. The hornets. He's going to send the hornets. How many of you saw about the hornets that were here a couple? Weren't they mad hornets or something like that? They were murdering hornets. Okay, so there you go. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land will become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. But little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. This is great. You know, the striking terror into them, you know, subjecting them to all these things like this. Says, Trust the Lord and I will drive out your enemies. But what he's saying is I'm not going to do it in a way that you can think about. 
I'm going to do it in a way that you can't even imagine that I'm going to do it. I'm going to send some hornets. And apparently murdering hornets were around a little while ago. So, but some think that that was the Assyrians. And it's possible. It could have been. But God is saying that you can't even imagine the things that I can do. My ways are not your ways, and I'm going to send these hornets. He would go before them. He would confound their enemies, and he would allow them to be conquered for their land. Not all of God's solutions are instantaneous. In this case, God would require constant cooperation, persistence, and effort by the Israelites. He will drive out the enemies little by little. How many times do we pray and God doesn't answer? And we know it's yes, no, and wait, or really yes, no, and grow. Because as we wait, we grow. And sometimes we'll never see that answer to a prayer. But God's ways are not our ways. So we can't question what he's going to do. But he says here, little by little. So the last point I want to make is success will come by faithfulness one step at a time as we follow God. It's one step at a time. You know, we've been talking here in the office, there's a lot of things that need to be done, and a lot of it seems a little bit overwhelming, but we kind of take the philosophy of eating an elephant. You guys know how to eat an elephant? One bite at a time. That's it. It's the only way you can do it, one bite at a time. And that's what they're saying here, little by little, one step at a time. And we have to follow God in his timing. And then verse 31, it says, I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea and from the desert to the Euphrates River. I will give you your hands to the people who live in the land and you will drive them out before you. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. So God's going to give them all this land and all he's asking is for their obedience. That's it. That he will bless them, he will avert sickness, he will cause them to multiply, and they will prolong the days of their lives. God is continually warning his people and us as well about false gods or our idols. And we all have idols, each and every one of us. In Egypt, they were surrounded by the idols, the sorcerers. And when they left that land, they didn't leave the influences that were there. And God knew that we would need these extra strength as well as them. And he continues today to emphasize and guard against the influence of these pagan religions. But he says, I'm going to do something big. I'm going to give you this land. And you will see that it doesn't come quickly. But you'll see that I will do it one step at a time because I am your God and I am faithful. And when they followed him, kept their eyes on God, and that's the key for us tonight. Keep our eyes on the Lord. Keep reading his word and he will be faithful to each and every one of us. No matter what's going on in our lives, it doesn't matter because God knows everything and God is with us. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word tonight. And Father, as we look at these laws, there are so many there. 
But Father, we just need to keep our eyes focused on you. Keep our eyes above the circumstances about what's going on. To keep our eyes focused on you, not our idols. And Father, I just ask that for all of us that we would have a balance in our lives. That we would have the balance between what we do for you and what we do with you. And what we do with you is the most important thing. Spending time resting on the Sabbath. Reflecting on your goodness the graciousness and the generous of the kingdom of God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for what he did for each and every one of us on the cross. We are so blessed by you. Father, tonight we lift up this, this congregation to you, Father, as we continue to move forward following you faithfully and obediently, knowing that you're with us always. Your word says you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. So, Father, we will keep our eyes focused on you always. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <laughs>